we use uh, a mist to grow the mushrooms. So you walk into the shipping container and it's kind of like this cool, foggy, dewy morning. And it's, it's absolutely beautiful. You can see mushrooms from side to side and uh, growing on these sawdust blocks. There are little mushrooms popping out of them on shelves. If you've ever watched a time-lapse video of a mushroom, you know, these form these little pins and then from these pins they keep growing and then they form this slow motion kind of big cap. I mean, it's so quick and so fast. Their shapes are so beautiful. A lot of curves, they're very curvy. You know, there's some that are shaggy, um, some that are pointy. I mean, growing mushrooms is an absolutely beautiful thing. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful process to see something that you planted grow. I'm Kate Tucker, and this is Hope is My Middle Name. Today, we're talking with George Patterson, a 26-year-old mushroom farmer who just three years ago didn't have the faintest idea how to grow a mushroom. Born and raised in West Virginia, George's family has been in the mining business for generations. He loves his state, and he wants to help it have a thriving future, beyond coal mining. It turns out West Virginia has a deep heritage in agriculture, so when the governor gave the call to find the next great crop, George got to work. With that wild and wonderful West Virginia spirit, George is now well on his way to transforming an abandoned coal mine into thriving farmland. And with nearly 200,000 acres of post-mine use land, West Virginia is ripe for just this sort of transformation. A son of Appalachia through and through, George is looking to the future, and he's hell-bent on helping strengthen West Virginia's economy and his community through agriculture. I met George at a farm-to-table dinner at J.Q. Dickinson Saltworks this past summer, and his oyster mushrooms were so fantastic, I had to ask for more. Little did I know the man behind the mushrooms would be serving up a story of hope and restoration. So... Here we go. Let's talk fungi with George Patterson of Hernshaw Farms. Sweet. Okay, George. So how, like, do mushrooms, can you see them growing in front of your eyes? Oh, so fast. They're rapid. It's like you turn around and they're already done growing. I mean, they grow so fast that one time I was harvesting mushrooms and I was, you know, going from the front to the back. And by the time I'd gone from the front to the back, the ones in the back had actually already turned up. Mm. We have to harvest them really, really quick. Yeah, you can't not harvest one day. What compelled you to become a mushroom farmer? I was looking into what can I do with this land? I was either between mushrooms and peppers, and I talked to a lot of people, a lot of people that know a lot more than me. And I was like, hey, is this a good idea or is this a good idea? And most of them said, you know, you should get into mushrooms. We were really the first mushroom farm in the state to commercially produce mushrooms in uh, sawdust bags, like the modern method uh, at scale. Okay, so last night I watched Fantastic Fungi. Oh, Fantastic Fungi. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen that, but everybody's been messaging me about it. I'm like, yeah, guys. Did you see it before you decided to become the biggest mushroom farmer in West Virginia? No, no, I did not. I did not. And I, I might be the biggest, but I'm still pretty small. I had no, no real perception of what mushrooms really were or how to grow them when I started. You know, I just liked mushrooms. I thought, hey, this is the right place. This is the right time. Take me through an average day of being George on the mushroom farm. 
oh, average day of being George. Oh, George gets there. He says hello to to Darby, who's his 16 year old employee, who's always there on time. And <laughs> you know, and uh, I uh, go to the office. I start printing out shipping labels uh, to ship our products out all over the country. Then you know, we might have somebody cooking grain. We might have somebody uh, making mushroom blocks. And we have someone in the lab. I mean, I've only been doing it for three years, so I'm, I'm all the time learning, which is great. And I've got a lot of great people around me that are, you know, helping me learn. How did you decide on the location for Hernshaw Farms? Uh, well, that was really just the availability. You know, it's on a mine site, so the land is affordable. And we're also able to, to do our mine land to farmland project. That's kind of the more overarching idea is, you know, hey, look, how can we use our waste product? Uh, and mine land to farmland is kind of us doing that and, you know, making use of the land. There's a lot of things you can do with post-mining land, but, you know, you can't just sit down and plop in a plant. You've got to actually create soil because it's bare rock. Mm. My cousin is, you know, in, in coal mining was like, hey, yeah, you can set up here. And so we, we worked it out and, you know, uh, that's, <laughs> that's how we got there. Uh, so, you know. Can you actually tell you're on a coal mine? Oh, yeah. Well, my office is in the old uh, four-mile mine office. My cousin was the one actually that mined the land <laughs> and he gave me his old office. And so, you know, we have a bunch of shipping containers, eight or nine of them. You know, they're sitting on this mine site and you've got this beautiful forest behind it. And then you've got this creek on one side and you have a road all the way up to the strip job. But it's crazy. You walk right up the hill. I mean, if I had a good arm, I could hit, you know, a coal mine with a football. Wow. Yeah, there's an old portal up in the uh, uh, hillside where people were mining. And uh, one of the old geologists from the DEP and I are trying to figure out, hey, is there any way we can use that to pull air out to lower heating and cooling costs and keep it more efficient, try to be more environmentally friendly? You know, we're working on some projects with the National Guard, actually, that are really, really exciting. And we hope to hope to really utilize the Earth's thermal mass to its, most of its advantage to grow mushrooms. So you're growing mushrooms and restoring the land. For composting, I know you're excited about worms. Red wigglers, baby. I got my red wigglers going. I, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to make really good soil. And I actually, I got the help of a soil scientist recently. And he said, George, all you need to do is add some chicken manure. But in my learning process, you know, I was uh, just feeding our waste product to uh, worms. And we're trying to grow from there. We're actually on a surface mine site and we're trialing in different buckets. So we mix different soil samples and, you know, soils in these buckets to try to figure out, hey, what grows here? How much mushroom compost can we use? What can we use to try to try and figure out how to scale that up? Mm. That's a really big part of our, our business. And, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of actually other successful projects that we're working with the mining companies to try to figure out how do we do this best? What are the other uses for it? And that's, I think, different than your typical environmentalist's approach. Mine is, hey, we've got this resource here, there's equipment there, and there needs to be an alternative use for it. And that's kind of kind of where we're going. We're like, hey, man, we can, we can make sure this land is, is something more than just a flat mountain, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, know, you guys are going to mess it up, but we'll try our best to grow on it. And there are lots of lots of abandoned mine sites in West Virginia that you know really need some love and care and could become productive. Mm. You know, especially a lot of them are in really rural places. These communities that were built around this this massive mine where sometimes people are almost trapped. You know, you can't really sell your house if nobody's moving there because the mine's gone. 
I really understand both sides of it. You know, my, my family was, was in mining, has been in mining, came over from Wales in like the 16 or 1700s to mine. Mining literally runs in my blood. So they, they went from mining lead to actually extracting salt. They pull the water from deep, deep down in these old uh, ancient, ancient aquifers. You know, they pull it up and then they heat up the water, get the steam out. Anyways, that's why they uh, needed coal. You're left with salt after you get the water out. But there was a huge demand for coal because of that. And that's really why coal power uh, became a uh, really big staple in uh, West Virginia. Wow. Yeah, my ancestors were there the whole time. I knew that West Virginia has a giant prehistoric ocean underneath it, the Ipetus Ocean, and that the salt that's pulled up from there is really pure because it's not touched by mankind. Mm -hmm. And I also knew it used to be a huge salt-producing region. I did not know that coal came after the salt to support the salt. Yeah, the coal industry really took off from the salt industry. Now we're mining mushrooms to try to grow some things. So uh, I'm kind of flipping the script. So you have a degree, though, not in mushroom farming. I do in uh, international relations and economics from the William and Mary St. Andrews uh, joint degree program. Basically, I studied politics with with some math. At the end, I was able to kind of do a almost thesis like paper, you know, independent study type thing on what I wanted to do. And, you know, I actually came up with building greenhouses on coal mine valley fills. Valley fills are, you know, like the Incas made those step gardens. Well, coal mines blow off the tops of mountains and then make little steps in the side of the hill to control the runoff and dirt and stuff from mining. Mm. But they make these nice little steps where I think you could put some awesome lean-to greenhouses at scale. And they do so in China and large, large-scale agriculture. And it would help with the heating and cooling. So, you know, I was like, man, if there's a way we can tap the potential of the geothermal energy here, then... There's a huge uh, advantage to West Virginia. So you got out of school, you started thinking about business school, and then there was a conversation you had with your dad. Yeah, yeah. My dad was like, hey, uh, so you can go to business school or start a business. I chose to start a business. And you know, I have a lot of business minds in my family that have been absolutely incredibly helpful to me. My mom had a business. My uh, my dad's, you know, he's uh, he's an attorney, so he knows all aspects of of business from from a legal standpoint, and he's on call at no cost. It's great. Um, and then, <laughs> That's uh, awesome. uh, so your family has a history in the business of mining, and now you're farming mushrooms on the mines. What do they think about that magical transformation? Uh, they're very supportive. My mom was my employee of the month when my first month starting out. She got out there and, and helped me uh, picking out mushrooms. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we started out pretty small. My dad's actually he's a, a coal, oil, and gas attorney. So sometimes dinner's heated. Um, but uh, uh, we get along in the end, you know? <laughs> Has your dad ever said, you know, this is crazy what you're trying to do with the mushrooms? Overall, no. I mean, he's been he's been extraordinarily supportive. Uh, that's more an arguing environmental policy. I, I don't say you're coming out and you're killing the earth, but I think it's about time that you know the the coal miner and the farmer on the flag start working together. But if we choose to work against each other, which is what I think a lot of these other groups have issues with, I mean, think about the amount of resources that are wasted fighting over silly stuff, We're spending money on TV ads when you could build businesses and create jobs. Yeah. I think that he really realizes that as well. And I think he also realizes the long-term outlook for what he's doing is not the greatest. 
Um, but at the same time, yeah, he defends the gas guys. But I just, I just really sort of avoid the subject. <laughs> um, I feel you, and I understand. So let's talk a little bit about your family's tie to mining. Your cousin owns the mine land that you're on. Uh, he just mined it. He owns some of it, but not not all of it. But he was a contract mining. You know, most uh, mines are made up of uh, large landholders that are usually out of state. And they uh, come together and they say, hey, you know, we're going to form a mine. They get a, a bond, uh, permits, all that jazz. They can either use the land for something productive as part of the post-mining land use once they're done, of course, you know, or they can bring the land back to original contour. Yeah. Is there a community that lives around this area? It's like Lens Creek, right? Yeah. So Lens Creek is the area. Um, and then Hernshaw Farms, we're in Hernshaw, which is... Uh, you know, these two old coal guys way back in the 1800s or something, Herndon and Ravenshaw, they combine their names to make Hernshaw. Mother Jones on her way to the Battle of Droop Mountain, which is, you know, when the federal government basically fought coal miners <laughs> over uh, wages and uh, workers' rights and all that stuff. And Mother Jones stopped like really close to where we are. It's really a historic place in mining and there's been mining there forever. What does the community think of what you're doing? Do they know what you're doing? Have they been up there? Oh, yeah. The kid that works for me, he lives in the community, and I've made really good friends with a lot of my neighbors. The community really does have systemic issues from the fallout of coal mining, drug problems, uh, stuff like that. And it's uh, really uh, an economic issue and a social issue. Yeah. I've heard that coal production is down in West Virginia by over 50% across the past decade. West Virginia is also struggling with the highest rate of drug abuse in America. How do you see Hernshaw Farms impacting the community? We can provide that motivation that, hey, you know, work hard, do something, create something, make something, uh, and be something, you know, and that's that's kind of where I, I try to focus that energy is at the youth level. The, the biggest testament is Hernshaw's finest. Uh, you know, Zach Darby is my production manager at, you know, 16 or 17. The kid is a whiz kid and he's, he's got the work ethic of like, it's just insane. But I mean, that's where, that's where I think, uh, you know, from my standpoint where I can have the most impact and helping prevent those socioeconomic issues is helping the kids, man. Um, you know, just, just being there, being a good positive influence, doing the right thing. Um, and making the right decisions, and they see that, and they're like, oh, okay, this is something you know I can buy into. Um, and over time, if we work in the right direction, we can we can create some change. It may not be everyone lives in mansions. I don't think that's the right way yeah. either. But you know, the community overall as a whole can can have some some sense of purpose, and I think that's I'm starting to see that. So, from what I understand, you chose mushrooms because you see them as a viable use of ag as an economic driver. So you could create jobs in an area where jobs have gone away, and these jobs would lend themselves to skills that former miners might have. All the while, you're restoring the land or restoring the soil. So what of this is central to your mission, to your purpose at Hernshaw Farms? Oh, I mean, pretty much all of that. I mean, the point is, you know, using the land, using the people for skills that they're actually able to pick up or utilizing the skills they already have. I had a coal miner working for me, but he, he can build stuff like just like crazy. I mean, he built a well house in, I don't know, like 40 minutes. 
And that would have taken me like three days, maybe. <laughs> there, was, there was a big push to turn miners into coders. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. I think that choosing the right uh, skill level and you know, choosing the right pay level, uh, you know, where we can pay people more than what they will be doing, doing other things, you know, for their skills. And that's, that's key. And it's interesting to think of bringing people back to a similar area. So if the, their family has been there for generations working on that land to give another purpose for the land. Talk to me about some challenges you've had maybe in your first year. And then were there any moments you were like, this is crazy. I got, I don't know if I should do this. <laughs> so I used to sleep. Uh, this is before I had the fiance, of course. I used to sleep there on an air mattress on top of two desks in this little old mine office with a shotgun. And uh, mm. I would I would wake up every night, you know, <laughs> every little sound. Um, but I was just working my butt off trying to get the thing built and protect it. Okay. I heard someone stole your shotgun and then his mom brought it back. Yeah, his mom returned it. <laughs> That's amazing. So the guy's <laughs> mom dated Darby's dad. Uh, the kid that works for me. And so there's, you know, there's some history back there. I thought it was absolutely, it's just funny. Um, wow. So we've been robbed around f- three or four times and we've been there three years. Um, and the most recent two times were back to back. I mean, when I was robbed the first time, it was terrible. They just trashed my place. And I remember just walking in there and just like walking out, uh, just kind of losing it. The last two times I was broken in, the com- criminals were polite. They just took my stuff. They didn't break anything or push anything around. Hmm. How did things change when the pandemic hit? During the pandemic, I switched from selling two restaurants because they all shut down. I was like, oh man, what am I going to do? All of my customers are all shut down. I lost, I think like $200 that month. We didn't make a profit. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to spend whatever I have on uh, internet sales. And it turns out that was the right move. (laughs) And uh, ever since the pandemic, probably like 90% of my business is selling online out of state, um, which is really, really good. I mean, in in order to really grow West Virginia, we're going to have to bring some out of state dollars in. How many hours a day do you think you work? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Last night I was replying to uh, customers at like one o'clock, you know, and the guy was like, "Wow, thanks for the fast reply." I was like, "You're welcome. You're welcome. I got to go to work in five hours, but I got you." How does that impact your personal life, and how are you able to transform these challenges? How do you keep going? Well, you know, honestly, I have wonderful people around me. I have my wonderful fiance uh, who keeps me going. She's like, you know what? It's it's going to be all right. My mom's really there for me. Yeah, I mean, it is tough at times because, you know, in July, everybody went out of town. And it's scary. Um, and then in August, we, we actually, so we had our best month, which is, you know, wonderful. I'm looking to hire uh, hopefully soon. It is. It's ebbs and flow. I mean, that's business. That's, that's being an entrepreneur and it's, it's part of the risk you take, being your own boss. But I, I hope that the rewards will be worth it in the long run. I hope that I can have you know a decent life and, and raise a family and keep people employed so they can raise a family. And that's really what I want, uh, a good life for people around me. That's how um, we are successful. It's looking and saying, hey, what are these person's skills? How do we utilize them? How do we pick back up? But I mean, yeah, it's sometimes it gets tough. You're like, oh, <laughs> I just want to quit, <laughs> you know, uh, but, uh, but you don't, uh, you know, you just got to keep going. I know it's only been a couple of years, but I'd love to hear if there are any stories of someone whose life has been impacted by 
Hernshaw Farms and buy the mushrooms? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of customers that are uh, really, really great to me and a lot of friendships that I've made. So I made really good buddies with Lenny. Uh, Lenny is an art dealer. He was on one of the streets in New York. He was downtown there. He was selling all sorts of prints and stuff. And now he lives in Connecticut and he's retired. And he and I have an awesome friendship. So he sends me art. I'm actually looking at one of them right now. Uh, it's like a, a dolly print. So we trade uh, for mushroom grow. It's a lot of mushroom grow kits for, for that stuff. Um, but anyways. Uh, <laughs> I think it would be a lot of pounds of mushrooms. Yeah. And so, you know, and he's, uh, he and I became absolutely wonderful friends. He calls me all the time. I talked to Lenny about his mushrooms and his mushroom growing, and he's doing it for his health. Yeah. And, yeah. And there are also people that are really into our tinctures. There's one lady that's, there was nothing that, that was working for her arthritis. And, you know, she took our, our tinctures and was like, hey, look, like, you know, the, the power of the mushroom is a health health benefit is huge. Uh, each of them have different benefits. The reishi is great for arthritis, uh, your libido, uh, your uh, joints, um, your cholesterol, everything like that. You know, there's a mushroom for it. The spiritual element, too, uh, that's, you know, really prevalent in a lot of uh, Native societies uh, is, you know, something that they're starting to use for PTSD and uh, treating depression. It's mind-opening, and, you know, if we look back into the past to see what our ancestors were doing, we can kind of change the lives of a lot of people. And, you know, mushrooms are kind of mystic healers that we're, as an American society, I think sort of just starting to become extraordinarily hip to uh, since you know the 70s and was, was a big time for that but I think it's we're recircling back to where it's actually part of the professional medical community so of 20,000 different kinds of mushrooms that exist what is the one you're most excited about growing oh chestnuts don't tell the others though <laughs> but I love chestnuts they're absolutely delicious if you haven't had a chestnut mushroom you haven't lived they're the so can anybody grow? I mean, I know the chestnut mushroom is hard to grow, but like, how does it work? If I want to start ordering these mushroom grow kits, what does that mean for me? <laughs> oh, so it's really easy. We uh, we can set you up as a mush boxer. All you need to do is have a place that gets indirect sunlight, is a little moist and cool, and you mist it. And then from there, you put it uh, on your counter and you can spray it twice daily. All you have to do is slice an X in it and just mist. I mean, it's... It's super simple. We do all the hard part. We do the sterilization. We inoculate the seed. We send you something ready to grow. You put it on your table. You slice it. You missed it. You'll have mushrooms in two weeks. Are you kidding? I am so ready to become an amateur mycologist. Yes. So if you're growing mushrooms in shipping containers, because that controls the environment, I'd imagine, how is that eventually going to revitalize the soil on that post-mine use site? We're saving all of our, our spent material working with the mind to figure out, hey, how can we do this to use this waste? Uh, the idea is to figure out, you know, the right mix to make the best soil and then to grow other things. Right. So, you know, and we're growing, I'm growing a lot of uh, black-eyed seasons and stuff like that, like lettuce in the soil. And I've been eating it, but I have not yet had the capacity to really scale that up. Because the, the mushroom business has taken up a lot of my effort and energy and it's really hard for me to just start running a farming business as, as well. Um, but we're trialing it now so where I can get Darby to where he's ready to run the whole thing and I can, you know, focus on, hey, how do we make dirt, <laughs> you know? What do you hope other farmers or mission-driven entrepreneurs in West Virginia learn from your experience? Uh, it's it's going to take uh, sleeping out your business. <laughs> 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 you got to be willing to put your blood, sweat, and tears into it if you're starting from where I, I'm starting, you know, <laughs> a lot of love and a lot of support. 
my dad's decision to send me to my makeshift business school. Yeah, uh, It's hard. You got to put a lot of grit, a lot of sweat into it. But if we do it and we do work together, uh, stuff will happen. I love the positive energy, George. I want to know, what is it that gives you hope in this work? In fact, I'm still in business. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but you know, the people around me, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I always look on the bright side, right? Uh, but, uh, the people and what I'm seeing in the community and the local business scene, I think is really taking off. I think there's a huge shift to tourism happening and I hope it continues. I do realize tourism is not the only industry we need, nor is mushrooms. Um, you know, we need a lot of industries to be diversified so that if the mushrooms go under, we're not all completely dependent on the mushrooms, you know, we're hotel closes, we're not all completely dependent on the hotel. I think that we need to really focus on creating a diversified economy. And I think that's really starting to happen and relatively quickly. So I hope it keeps happening. Thank you to George Patterson for inspiring us with your vision of renewal and for making me miss those country roads and all the summers I got to spend in West Virginia as a kid. It truly is a wild and wonderful place. Hope is My Middle Name is hosted by me, Kate Tucker. This episode was produced by Rachel Swaby with editing from Elise Hugh and Audrey No. Our sound engineer is Mark Bush. Big thanks to Connor Gaughan, our publisher and fearless leader at Consensus Digital Media. Most of the songs in this episode are from my records, You can find me in all the places, and the awesome intro tracks are from Epidemic. Hope is My Middle Name is more than a podcast, it's a community. We want to know what's giving you reasons to hope. You can message me on Instagram at Kate Tucker Music and post your stories with the hashtag Reasons to Hope. Hope is My Middle Name can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening these days. We are a brand new show. We'd love to know what you think. Follow us, rate, and leave us a review. This small act makes a huge difference. Hope is My Middle Name is a podcast by Consensus Digital Media, produced in association with Reasonable Volume. See y'all next time. Mm